Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we start a new summer sermon series. We've been told that God answers every prayer, but is that really true? How do we pray when life doesn't make sense? Join us for the message, Talking in the Dark. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. You know, we're told that God answers every prayer, but sometimes we wonder, is that really true? And so we'll be exploring that a little bit later on in our message today. I did want to point out, just because I think this book is so wonderful, that the sermon series for our next several weeks is taken from this book called Talking in the Dark, Praying When Life Doesn't Make Sense. I think it's one of the best books on prayer I've ever read. And I like it so much that I put the... uh, I put it on the bulletin, just in case you wanted to to order a copy for yourself. But um, I I love this book, and I love preaching on it, so I'm looking forward to doing this sermon series with you. We have two scripture readings this morning. Both come from Epistles of Paul. The first from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, beginning with the 26th verse. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose." Our second reading comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, beginning in the seventh verse. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. The word of God for the people of God. I was about to lay my head down for my usual Sunday afternoon nap. I have found that many pastors have a habit of a Sunday afternoon nap. And I think taking a good nap is one of life's greatest pleasures. But on this particular Sunday afternoon, my nap was just not meant to be. I was just about to lay down when the alarm on my phone just began blaring. So I looked there at the notification and it was a tornado warning. So I switched on the TV and the weatherman said that anyone who lives in southeast Denton in the vicinity of Golden Triangle Mall needed to take cover immediately. There was a tornado coming straight for us. I live in southeast Denton, right off 35, and Golden Triangle Mall is just on the other side of the highway from my neighborhood. And I was looking on the TV and the radar showed that this tornado was just only just a few miles from my house and it was coming straight for me at a speed of 45 miles per hour. It had already touched down in Argyle, and it was plowing a path directly for my subdivision, and I really had mere minutes to take shelter. So I had to think quickly. I grabbed my wallet and my keys, my phone and my charger, and two out of four cats. (laughs) I was not able to lasso up the other two. 
and I went into my interior utility room where the contractor had said this would be the best place for a tornado. And there I waited. But right before going in, I went over to the uh, TV and I cranked up the volume so I could still hear what the weatherman was saying. Um, but then the sound of the wind got louder and louder and it drowned out the sound of the weatherman. I'd heard people say that a tornado sounds like a freight train running right over you, and they are not exaggerating. The sound really became deafening, and I felt this fear just rise up in me, and I just started praying with all my might. But slowly, the sound of the train became dimmer and dimmer as the wind subsided, and after a while, I was able to make out again what the weatherman was saying, and I actually heard him say, Denton is now safe. Whew. So I and the two cats that I was able to lasso up, we tumbled out of the utility room. And I went over to look at the map that now the weatherman was pointing to. And a shiver ran down my spine as I saw that this tornado had, had touched down in Argyle, plowed a path, and here's my neighborhood. It had come right to my neighborhood just gra gracefully lifting right over my neighborhood and touching right back down before going forward north on the ground. And I felt very, very fortunate at that point. I did look out the front door and there were limbs and tree limbs scattered everywhere all over the neighborhood. But my house and my cats and I were both, were all safe. I was very, very grateful for that. You know, sometimes the storms of life skip right over us and sometimes they land right on top of our heads. And all of us at one time or another, we've had the electricity knocked out at our house and without any artificial illumination, particularly at night, we can be surprised sometimes at just how dark the night can get when there really is no artificial illumination at all. And yet we find that despite the fact that we're not able to see our hand in front of our own face, we can still hear the sounds of the night. And we can still hear the voices of our loved ones. And so likewise, there are times in our lives when our, our whole world turns dark. And it can be anything. It can be the loss of a job, the loss of a marriage, the loss of a loved one. We can feel that we're in a tailspin or even a free fall and it makes it nearly impossible to know which direction to take next. But fortunately, even in the darkest places of our lives, we find that prayer is still possible. And we find that prayer travels just as well in the darkness as it does in the light. For the next several weeks, we're gonna be talking about the subject of prayer, how to think about prayer and how we experience prayer. And we're going to examine why sometimes prayer can be so hard, but at the same time, prayer is really just as essential as breathing. As I said, I'll be basing my sermon series on this book that I've often recommended, Talking in the Dark, Praying When Life Doesn't Make Sense, Steve Harper. As I said, you'll find the citation, uh, the reference there on your bulletins. I came across this book. I was at a uh, workshop at Perkins School of Theology, and they always have a book table there. And if you're like me, I buy books faster than I can read them. And I always have a stack of books at home that I keep meaning to get around to. And I had promised myself that I was not gonna buy another book 
at this workshop until I had read all the books that I'd already bought. <laughs> you know how well that works. But something about that cover of this, of this man just holding his, his hands in front of his face like that, I, I just found that, that the, the, the photo so arresting that I finally broke down and I bought the book anyway. And I'm so glad I did because the book changed my life. And I did get an opportunity a few years ago to meet the author Steve Harper and get a chance to tell him how much his book had meant to me because I was reading it at a time in my life when I simply could not pray. I was going through one of those dark nights of the soul. I was still going to worship on Sunday mornings and I could pray as part of the congregation, but I was just unable to pray on my own at that time. And this book helped me to start praying again. Uh, so that's why I so highly recommend it. The thing is, uh, the reason it's so hard to pray when life doesn't make sense is that prayer, in reality, can be difficult and frustrating, and so often that the answers we get, they're incomplete and they're ambiguous. And as I said, there have been times in my life when I have gone months without praying any kind of, in any kind of a disciplined or a sustained way. But I always come back to prayer, because it's like, after a while, it's just like spiritual oxygen. And I, found, I find that I can't go too much longer without coming back to prayer, even as much as I sometimes find it so frustrating. Well, any adequate theology of prayer is always going to affirm two truths. First of all, prayer is real. I think outside of salvation, prayer is the greatest gift that God has given us. But prayer is also very much a mystery, and we're never going to fully understand it. And at times, if you're like me, you've found prayer to be empowering, but sometimes you've felt that your prayer was just futile. The most common question that people have about prayer is this. Why didn't God answer my prayer? Now, we're so often taught that God answers all prayers, and I've heard it said before, and I think this is, this is not bad, but that God answers all prayers, but the prayer is always yes, no, or wait. It's not a bad way to look at it. But the thing is, sometimes we just feel deep in our soul that our prayer is not being answered, and that our prayer life is not making any kind of a difference. So in a way, our biggest problem with prayer is God. Most of us have had to face the death of a loved one, maybe the death of one or more of our parents. And it can be gut-wrenching to watch that final decline in the suffering that usually precedes it. First, our parent gets sick, and we pray for healing. Then, as they continue to suffer, we pray for comfort. And at the very end, we just pray for release. And this leaves us with questions about prayer that no one can really answer. Why did my loved one have to suffer so? And why don't all people get healed, or some people get healed while others do not? My mother told the story of her time in college. When she was in college, she was a member of the Delta 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 sorority, otherwise known as the Tri-Delts. Uh, whenever at that time, whenever new girls joined the sorority, 
they would have this elaborate candlelight initiation ritual. And they would do this while wearing formal floor-length dresses. And the new initiates would process down a pathway that was outlined in candles that were sitting on the floor. Well, in one initiation that my mother witnessed, one of the girls' long dresses swept just a little bit too close to the candles and ignited in flame. The girl panicked, began to run around, causing just the flames to intensify, and the flames then engulfed her. In her panic, she ran down a staircase, and then at the bottom of the staircase, died from being burned to death. One of the other girls was hospitalized with severe burns on her hands and arms because she had tried so hard to put out the flames of the other girl's dress. Now being burned to death as part of a college initiation ceremony that seems tragic and senseless, but the story actually get, got worse. They learned that, that the girl's parents had already lost a son, their only other child, a few years earlier in World War II. And I don't know what you say to parents that have lost both of their children in such tragic circumstances. Because there really isn't an answer that's going to satisfy these parents, at least not any answer that we can give them in this life. And yet, I still think it's so important for us to go to God with all of our questions, and particularly our why questions, even when we can't necessarily find the answers we want. In the book, Steve Harper uh, relates the story of a woman and her experience with prayer. Her husband came home one night and said, good news and bad news, I've received a promotion, but it's going to require that we move across country. Well, the woman and her husband and their kids loved where they were living, and they thought this, is, this was going to be where they were going to spend the rest of their lives. And she prayed and she prayed that there would be some way for her husband to still get the promotion, but not to have to move. But there was nothing like that, no way materialized. So one night as she was washing the dishes, her husband and kids were in the other room, and she was just, she was just concentrating and obsessing about how much she did not want to move. And in a sudden rush of anger and distress, she just blurted out loud, God, sometimes I hate you. Well, she clapped her mouth over her hand over her mouth, expecting to be struck down by lightning. But what she found instead is that what came over her was this sense of warmth. And she said later, it felt like warm oil being poured on her head and then traveling down to her feet. And she heard an inner voice say, I know how you feel and I love you. And her prayer life was never the same after that. They still had to move, but her prayer life was never the same after that. And I think for our prayer to be authentic, we need to break through whatever it is that keeps us from being brutally honest with God. Because God already knows what's going on with you. God knows every thought that flit, flits through your brain, every feeling that arises within you. You might as well admit it. You're not fooling anyone, least of all God. But, you can tell we, but until we can reach that level of honesty 
I think our prayers are going to be hindered and they're going to be powerless. I think wrestling with God, including all of our doubts and all of our questions, is not a sign of a lack of faith or a lack of Christian commitment. I think what it is is a sign of our passion. Because you see, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is indifference. To have a passionate faith in God is to question. And to have a passionate faith means that sometimes you are mired in doubt. You're mired in doubt not because you don't care about God, but because you care so much. There is no question, there is no struggle, there is no sin that cannot be brought to God in prayer because God wants our honesty above all else. And that honesty may express itself in confession or intercession or praise or lament. Think about it, even Jesus cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if Jesus can be that brutally honest, then I think questioning God must not be a sin. But it is hard to pray sometimes to an invisible God. As we grow in prayer, however, we'll find that prayer is, is less and less about getting answers. It's a lot more about gaining perspective. It's also about knowing that you're not alone. The perspective of prayer then is to have a calming sense of God's presence, even if we don't get the answers that we might necessarily want. One of the names of Christ that we so often hear, especially around Christmas, is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this presence, this God with us-ness, is manifested in many ways. I think the first way is in God's conquering presence. There is a presence that does bring healing and defeats evil and sometimes even performs miracles. This is a presence who, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. This is the presence of God that can leave us speechless as we behold the awesome power of prayer. It's the kind of presence in prayer that we wish was always there, even though it's not always there. But sometimes God comes to us in a comforting presence. Paul says in the letter to Philippians, Do not worry about anything, but, by every, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now on Pentecost Sunday, that was just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the resurrected Jesus told his disciples that he would not leave them orphaned. Actually, I said that back. I said that backwards. This, he actually told them they would not be orphaned prior to his death at the Last Supper. He said he would send the paraclete. Then also in the Gospel of John, then we have the scene where Jesus comes back and actually breathes the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. But the paraclete is what we now know as the Holy Spirit. And paraclete, as we talked about two weeks ago, is a Greek word, and it can be translated advocate, counselor, comforter, companion, helper, advisor, strengthener, intercessor, protector, supporter, comforter, exhorter, and even defense attorney. And we talked about how the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible translates paraclete as advocate, but I also talked about how I kind of prefer the word counselor. But let's take a look at, though, the fact 
Let's look at paraclete, though, as comforter. When we say that God comes to us in a comforting presence, it's, it's more than just the context that God can offer us peace, though that happens as well. Think about the root of the word comfort. Comfort is the same root as to fortify. Comfort, fortify. So when God comforts us, we're also being fortified and we're being strengthened for our journey. And I think finally God comes to us as a clarifying presence. When we gain perspective that we are a part of something that's larger in ourselves, then that is God coming to us with, our clarifying pres- with, with God's clarifying presence. And it's the perspective that we need sometimes when life, no matter how hard we try to make sense of it, still does not make sense. Now, I do think sometimes Christians place much too much emphasis on making sure we go to heaven, that it's all about pie in the sky, and the, the important thing is to accept Christ and we get our ticket to heaven, and that's the important thing. And we neglect then to do the will of God on earth. But I do think sometimes in the face of tragedy, it's very helpful to see ourselves as part of something that's larger than ourselves. Last week I quoted, I quoted Paul from 2 Corinthians. So we do not lose heart for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen but what cannot be seen for what can be seen as temporary, but what cannot be seen as eternal. In time, some questions about why will become clear, and other questions of why that we come up with, they're never going to get an answer, at least not this side of heaven. But I think in the meantime, we can choose to trust the revelation that we have received. We receive revelation in scripture and tradition and reason and experience. And these sources of revelation, especially scripture, can provide us with a compass as we go through the wilderness of life. And God's revelation to us doesn't eliminate the mystery, but it does put that mystery in a different perspective. And I also think remembering the different ways that we experience the divine through the three persons of the Trinity can be helpful. And there's a word picture that I often use, and you may have heard me use it before, But I use this as a way for myself to understand how the Trinity functions in my own life. I envision God the Father or God the Creator as the designer of a a great wilderness. It's very, very beautiful, but it also can be dangerous. And so as we traverse this wilderness, I imagine Jesus going ahead of us, a little ways ahead, making sure there's a safe passage of the landscape, letting us know ahead of time where the terrain falls and it rises. Sometimes I even imagine Jesus with a machete cutting across all the wilderness that's there in front of us. Jesus is there helping us to see the obstacles that are in our progress. But the Holy Spirit is God that is right there beside us holding our hands and steadying our gait and helping us over the impasses and even carrying us then when the trail becomes too treacherous. So finally, I think the revelation we have from God and the presence of God that we experience through prayer allows us to maintain a balance between the mystery of God and the certainty that we have of God's grace. For I know that my Redeemer lives and that my grace, that by grace I am not limited 
thank God, to only relying on my ability to pray effectively in the face of all of life's challenges. We have that promise from Paul in Romans that when we don't know how to pray, then the Holy Spirit's going to pray for us in size too deep for words. As Wesleyan Methodists, we believe in prevenient grace. That is that God's grace is available to everyone. But there are still advantages for being a believer. And I think one of the great advantages is that we're able to recognize the pattern of grace and to then therefore respond to it in faith and to raise our thanks and praise. Prayer can seem sometimes as if we're talking in the dark. We bring all our thoughts and feelings to an invisible God that is wrapped in mystery. And at times our prayer seems powerful and at other times our prayers seem useless. But when we're surrounded by darkness, we may question whether or not we should keep praying at all. But let us always remember that the sound of prayer travels in both lightness and in darkness. For as Paul said, we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. Receive this benediction. In a world where life doesn't always make sense, may God's life, light shine upon us, and may we then be a light in the darkness for others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 o'clock. Next Sunday, we'll continue our sermon series, Talking in the Dark. You'll find audio recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember that we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.